We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. Hello, and welcome to Storied San Francisco, a podcast all about the people and places that make this city unique. I'm Jeff Hunt, and I'll be your host. This episode is very special for us. Before I set it up for you, I wanted to thank season one guest and friend of the show, Michael Axon, for connecting us with the wonderful people at the Manila Town Heritage Foundation. Michael directly introduced me to the foundation's executive director, Caroline Julia Kabating. Caroline will be our guide through this episode all about San Francisco's Manila Town, the I Hotel, and her foundation, which today carries on the history and legacy of the neighborhood and former SRO Hotel at Jackson and Kearney. Here's Caroline. I'm a fourth generation San Franciscan Filipina. My family first came here in 1904. We're very rooted in this land. My family has been here and survived the 1906 earthquake, the first uh, influenza pandemic, all of the various earthquakes and um, World wars, yes. which didn't necessarily happen here, but those were. Yeah, but we but we have like been a part as a family in World War Two, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, you know. So um, very, and we I come from a, a Union family as well, so very much a part of this land, and literally this land here on Kearney Street, because my grandfather, who was an immigrant from the Philippines when he was a young man, lived here. He if he didn't get married, he would have been a Kearney Street Manong. He was a Kearney Street young man um, who was lucky enough to um, actually get married and start a family, unlike most of the other Manongs or elderly men who lived at the I Hotel. My aunt and uncle were part of the human chain that mm. um, defended the I Hotel, and now I'm the third generation that is now helping to preserve that story. So, so very much as a family, I feel like my DNA runs through this particular Manila Town, whether Manila Town still literally exists, you know, like back in the day to where it is now, which is mostly in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And in this space. And in this space, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're a fourth generation, does that mean your great grandparents came over? Did they already know each other in the Philippines or did they meet here? No, that's a great story. It's like they, um, my great grandfather uh, was from Cebu, Philippines, and he didn't really have an intention to um, uh, to live in America. He was a merchant seaman who was going back and forth. But one of the experiences he had is that he was trying to bring his younger brother who did want to become an American mm. over. And on the trip over, he passed away. And oh. so on spur of the moment, my great grandfather decided that he was going to live his dream, his, uh, his younger brother brother's dream and he just you know became an American my great-grandmother came 10 years later in 1914 as the maid to a wealthy family that was on vacation and she again spontaneously decided that she wanted a different future for herself and she didn't want to be a maid anymore and as a young woman all alone decided to just stay amazing and um and they met here. Do you so know how old she was? Um, she must have been in her early 20s. And okay. uh, yeah, that's a big deal. It is. A big all, deal. I mean, all of it is a big deal, but especially young woman, early 20s. Yeah. 
And then their child, uh, my grandmother, who I'm named after, I'm actually named after both of these women, which is why I wanted to say Caroline Julia. So my great-grandmother was Julia, and I was named after Caroline, who was um, our family's first American-born child. Amazing. So um, so that's, that's her, and I'm the fourth generation, and now... With um, my cousins and and my brother, we are working on our sixth generation San Franciscan, American. I was going to say when we were talking before the recording, you'll have to excuse me if I like tear up at any point in this recording. It's an amazing story. So you were born and raised in San Francisco. What is kind of your coming up? decade or you know whatever oh, whatever sure. you want to, and you can yeah. say your age um, if you want to. Uh, I guess you know that would be like the 80s and the 90s is, is, oh, is, is yes. um, uh, where you know where, we when are, I came from. We're yeah. roughly the same age. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have and I don't think Michelle either the good fortune to be here in the 80s. Can you tell us about the 80s oh, the in San Francisco? 80s. Um, or the 90s? I mean you know what was what your youth in San Francisco like? God that's very interesting. I grew up um, in the Fillmore which was you know, this was a little earlier than me, but I have memory of it be- only because it's a part of my family's talk story. Mm. The Fillmore was very interesting. My family was there when, back in the day when it was known as the Harlem of the West. Mm-hmm. And it was just like flowing with jazz. And a beautiful thing happened in which, you know, three cultural groups that outside of the Fillmore would not necessarily find comradeship and solidarity with each other happened there. Mm. Um, the African-American community, the Filipino-American community, and the Japanese-American community. Right. And um, so I grew up around these uncles and aunties that were from all of these cultures. By the time I came up, the jazz was already gone, but the R&B was mm. actually what I really felt was permeating our world at that time. And there were hidden studios where you wouldn't know because they would be like someone's um, garage or something like that. But inside would be a studio where artists were being developed. And I and that is my first art. I am a jazz musician, an R&B musician, and also a composer. And I cut my eye teeth on the in the Fillmore. Okay. Um, so so that would be you know I was like thinking mostly around music you know mm-hmm. at that time so that's sort of like where I was and I was thinking about jazz so I don't know if I was very mainstream in terms of what was going on in San Francisco but that's sort of like where my focus was it was always sort of like art and, and also it. the listening to the talk stories of my family because that was very important I the reason why I know intimately what my great-grandparents were like, um, who I never met because they had already passed away, is because we were storytellers in my family. So they told stories about these heroes and these heroines that, that were a part of our history, and they became a part of my empowerment and also later on in my compositions as I started you know, telling their stories right. through music. You brought that in. Yeah. You might not have felt that you had a choice. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because it's such a part of you. Yeah. yeah. We were also naturally a family of service. So the, the primary um, profession in my family was as counselor or teacher. And um, also we were, from the almost the very beginning, a very strong labor, mm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, family. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was just sort of like, you know, uh, thrown into us as, as, as little babies and children. Was a, that yeah. A given, an under- yeah. understood. Yeah, you're never going to be a scab. You're never going to cross a picket right. line. You know, and, and things that um, I realized was not a part of, like, other people's upbringing. It was an unusual upbringing because we were we were already very progressive as a family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was a family of activists. Mm-hmm. So me coming here was just 
it was like home. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't find this place. It was actually already in my family lore. Okay. We, yeah. This place being, being we can inner, transition yes. <laughs> to this part of the uh, being the understanding and the importance of historic Manila Town, and also the International Hotel, and uh, and what it meant for our community, and why it's very important for us to maintain, you know, that memory and that legacy. Right. I think maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it would make sense to tell folks what Manila Town, San Francisco. I'm just going to say is. Yeah. Well, you know, um, historically, from about, you know, the 1920s um, to about 1935, there was a a Filipino male population in this area of about 39,000 gentlemen that were living here. And, And the reason why is because it was a very similar story for Asian American men at that time in which there were jobs that were not being able to be filled by um, existing Americans. And so America went out to Asia to try to bring to what they thought was going to be temporary labor uh, to work uh, the canneries, uh, the fields, and then, and, you know, and even some of the, like, uh, the businesses here, like uh, the hotel and restaurant uh, businesses. So you mean in the service yeah. industry or building industry? Um, or sir, maybe, ooh, that's maybe a good both? question. I, I, I know with my well. family it was a service industry. Okay. And so they were brought over as young men uh, to be workers. Uh, they did not bring families. They did not bring women because it was the intention that, they would go back or mm. they would be sent back. Mm-hmm. And that actually didn't happen because the pay was so low that they got. Well, first of all, they wanted to live the American dream too. And so there was that, you know, them wanting to stay and make a home here, but also they never really made enough money that they could really go back home. Mm-hmm. So that's how you ended up with a bachelor society for a, a certain generation of Chinese American men. Japanese American and Filipino, and Manila Town was originally built of that male population. Mm. You know, and can you give us a geographic? Yes, um, it, it was basically we're right now we're on Kearney Street, and um, Manila Town was ten blocks that went from Jackson, which is the very end, this street here, all the way to Market. And for that whole ten blocks, you had businesses, you know, pool halls, you had restaurants, you had um, SROs that um, catered to the village that existed at that time. There were women and children, just not the majority of them, you know. And I am an example of the very rare, fa- you know, families that came out of this experience. My grandmother being born here it was a very rare, mm-hmm. you know, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, it was males. And that had to do with, well, I guess the arrival of your grandmother or great, great, great grandmother. Yes. Our story is a very unusual story and could have easily have not been that story. Mm-hmm. It, it, my, you know, my grandfather could have easily have been a single um, male that was aging in place in Manila town mm. as a single male. Right. You know, and we called those males manongs. Manong in the Ilocano language means um, elder brother. But that's how it is in the Philippines. In America, we actually um, t- took that word and we, we meant it to mean the specific generation and experience of San Francisco's Manila Town. Okay. Uh, we called them manongs, meaning the elderly males that lived here in Manila Town. And if I can, I, like, I, I mean, no, no disrespect, but they were kind of the OGs of Manila yeah, Town in a yeah, way, right? So, yeah, and, and they were the young men in the 30s and, and, um, and they, they were aging The 1930s? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, okay. my grandfather, as a matter of fact, came at 17 years old in, I believe, 1935 wow. with his two cousins. His two cousins and him 
lived in the size of that SRO that we're um, seeing there. So, oh, okay. And yeah, we'll, that, we'll definitely get yeah. pictures of that. <laughs> Domingo's. SRO. Yeah, Domingo's SRO. Yes. So that was that. Those were their lives. They were like teenager, teenage men, like you know, trying to um, find their fortune in America. And some of them were lucky, ended up creating a family, and but then a great deal of them did not. Yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining. I was a little bit older when I first left home, and I did so within the country I was born. And I'm a white man. It was easy for me. For sure. I'm just imagining these men, you know, possibly not speaking language, definitely being a minority and everything that came with that at the time, everything that still comes with that. Like, yeah. I'm just in awe. Yeah. Not to mention like a woman, story. you know, women. Uh, right. Whenever you think that your life might be challenging, one of the things that we, we always were told as grandchildren and, you know, and children was that they had it rougher and they, and they came out of this. My cousins are UC Berkeley graduates, right? And they um, they are the descendants of an illiterate great-grandmother who couldn't even read and who came to this country. And that is, in many ways, the American dream. That could not happen from where she came from. Right. You know, when I visited uh, Cebu uh, as a young woman uh, for the first time, my family, I met my family, it was wonderful. They were still of the servant class. Amazing. Yeah, that many generations later. So, yeah. you know, for... You know, however hard it was to be in this country at a time when there was an experience of overt racism, mm -hmm. this is pre-civil rights movement, mm -hmm. you know, it, it still created this family as it exists now, college graduates, you know, people that um, own their own property. They are, we are not in servitude. Don't they call it upward yeah. mobility? Yeah. Is that the term for it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and of course, like a lot of that has to do with, I think that we're a union family too, you know, that we, um, we were always a very progressive family. And um, the part about, you know, what's interesting about the part of like not knowing the language and, you know, coming to this country, that was a little bit not true for Filipinos. You know, the, the whole, the International Hotel, um, you know, the, the fact that these elderly men fought for their right to a home came because we were a colony of mm, America. I was going to say. You know, um, so they did know English, and not only that, they knew our own history and our own philosophy about democracy better than most Americans did. So what they were fighting for was actually what they were taught right. about what was their right. Can we just quickly touch on that for folks who might not know the American history yeah. in the Philippines. Um, How, however yeah, briefly um, you want to do that. Oh gosh, it's like, you know, and and I feel bad because I don't have the exact years, but then it's okay. you know, yeah. we were um we were colonized um by the Spanish for hundreds of years. First. And um and during the Spanish-American War, we were the spoils of war along with Puerto Rico that we were given to America, and so we were also colonized, you know, mm -hmm. in that sense by Americans, so. Yeah. And so taught things like English yeah. and and education, you know, and the education was the, yeah, was the American education system. Educated the way maybe Americans or yeah, colonized no, no. Americans yeah. are, yeah. which of course isn't the whole story. Yeah. As with all colonized people, it's like you, you know sometimes their philosophy and uh, their ideals better than they might. 
you know, and that is what happened here in the International Hotel. They knew what their rights were. These were not disempowered old men. These were men that were merchant seamen. They were um, union um, organizers in the canneries and, and, you know, in the fields. My grandfather, you know, also was a union man, but he lived in the city, so he was with the hotel and restaurants union. Mm. He was a chef. He went from busboy to a chef at, you know, one of the best, you know, restaurants here, Graysons, which doesn't exist anymore, but it would be on the, the level of the House of Prime Rib. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, now you're making me so, hungry. <laughs> and, and, and the kitchens, you know, at that time were primarily Filipino men, right. you, know, at, you know, at that time. So that was what the service industry was here because obviously we weren't farms, we weren't canneries, right? Mm-hmm. But, then, but then this is what this population was, you know, a great deal of them were working in. They were also a migrant community. These same men that we see here on the walls and stuff, they actually did the the migration from the canneries, you know, down through San Francisco all the way to Central California, according to the seasons. Right. So Where the work was. Where the work was, and that's why, and the SROs were their um, various homes. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, as they got older and retired, the, the, you know, the International Hotel, the St. Paul, you know, some of the other hotels became their permanent home. Mm. But then this was the stop that they, you know, International Hotel would be one. There would be like um, SROs in uh, Stockton. There would be, um, you know, other places where you would be in the canneries, mm-hmm. you know. So so that's how the SROs, you know, got involved in the lives. Like a little network almost. Yeah. Or yeah. something. You said something about folks maybe on the East Coast not knowing what the I-Hotel is. And that's definitely true. I'm pretty sure there's people in San Francisco that don't know what the I-Hotel is. Oh, I agree. I agree. A great deal of the work that we do here is actually um, educating the young people in particular that especially during these times of anti-Asian violence in which, you know, they're they're trying to um, figure out their lives as as uh, not being victims and not being afraid that it's important that this history is known because this was an example of Asian Pacific Islanders that that these young people, especially if they're Asian Pacific Islanders, they came from warrior spirit. There was a whole generation, two generations before them that knew how to fight, that knew, you know, that that were not victimized and, and they need to know that history. Um, Contrary to popular belief, yeah. we do have young people in San Francisco. You, we do have That's young like people. That's like a meme yeah. for what we anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and we have long-standing like um, American families of Asian and Asian, um, you know, of Asian descent. So mm-hmm. that you know, the stereotype of like most of our community being immigrant and they don't belong here um, is not true. Right. It's like um, by many generations, um, mm-hmm. uh, our communities belong here, and, mm-hmm. and we have been fighters you know, um, by generations as well. And uh, what I like, you know, what I always like to think is that, you know, the International Hotel was that point in history when the Asian Pacific Islander community, and particularly the Filipino community, for the Filipino community, probably for the first time, decided to determine its own destiny, as opposed to letting, letting, you know, um, another entity determine that for them because of so many generations of colonization. It was so in them. It was a big deal. It yeah. was in their DNA. Yeah. And so so to break out of that and to sort of like make a, a demand um, for them making the decision of where home was going to be and they were not going to be put out was a big deal for the Filipino community. And this is why this space and this legacy is sacred space 
for our community in particular, the Filipinos, and also a very important part of our history. It's, it's very important for API people, San Franciscans, mm-hmm. and even America. But for Filipino Americans, it has, you know, like our old men that were thrown out in the street. You know, it was their whole history of like how they came to this um, country, um, you know, were exploited as cheap labor and lived these lives of like, you know, of strength and contributing to um, the, the, the industries. Yeah, of the industries of America that um, that were, you know, they helped make them strong, right. that they were not even allowed to age in place in the, in the, the hotel that they had considered and they had created as home considering that they did not have a typical home. And, you know, with family, they created their own family within the International Hotel. That's why they um, they fought to keep it so badly. But they weren't allowed to even have that mm-hmm. in their eldership. So, Let's talk about that. Yeah. So maybe when did the I-Hotel, which for listeners stands for International Hotel, when did the Filipino men, Manang generation or group of men, is that kind of who started this tradition of living at the International Hotel? Well, or how did it start? Yeah. When and when? Okay. Well, originally the the SROs, like the International Hotel, were as young men when they're in their working careers. It was like one of the various stops along the way when they were in the migrant what you were workers. About, yes. Yes. And when they retired, when they became older and they decided that they were going to live in one place, the International Hotel became one of those one places. Got it. And there were many places like that in the in old Manila town, you know. But as, you know, urban renewal chipped away at the neighborhood, it got smaller and smaller so that we could build the financial district, so that we could uh, build the Transamerica Pyramid. And before you knew it, it just came down to one block, mm. which was the International Hotel. The block that we're on. Yes, the block that we're on. And at that point, the reason why it wasn't easy to just evict them is because what happened here is that they had created a family life that was actually quite incredible. And it was mostly elderly male Filipino and Chinese men, but there were also other people that lived here. There were women, there were young people, there were um, a handful of families. And what they created was their own family. Mm. And, And the way that SROs are, you get a room, you get a sink, you have a community, a bathroom on each floor, and then a, a community kitchen at the bottom. It was the way that an SRO was that created a, a socialization and a sense of family that took the place of a traditional family that made them so close. They would eat together. They would spend time together. They would care for each other. I was going to say do favors. Yeah. Favor exchange. Yeah. 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 And it also brought another generation together because at that time, you know, the generation before, the first timers, many of them wanted to just assimilate. This is, you know, post-civil rights movement when when the the brain drain of the Philippines Mm -hmm. happened where educated Filipinos came in and they, you know, they they settled here as families. Um, They wanted to assimilate. They wanted their children to just have the American dream. So they didn't teach them Tagalog. They didn't teach them a Filipino language. They didn't teach them anything about their culture. But this 70s generation, which was surrounded by, you know, everything that was happening the Vietnam War, the Third World Strike, the demand for ethnic studies. They, 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 right. The women's movement, movement, um, movement. take back the night, all, you know, all of those, those movements, they're looking around going, well, where do I come from and how do I fit into this history? And it turned out that 
they put their sights on the International Hotel too and learned from these elderly men what our history had been and our contribution to this country and also saw that they, they could use a hand. They, they, were, they were almost like the grandfathers that they were not able to talk to about our history. So these young college folks were coming in and, you know, doing repairs. They were, like, socializing. Um, I have one of the, the images up here in which you see young people and elderly, you know, sort of like in a, in a band and dancing and things like that. So th- these two generations, which was in between, the, you know, the parents' generation, um, got close. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of like the dynamite that um, came together so that when Shorenstein decided who owned the the building that they were going to evict the tenants so that they could build a parking lot, the combination of these these energies, of this grandfather generation and these young radical, you know, college students sort of came together. And and that was really why, uh, you know, the energy that came to defend the international hole, as opposed to just sort of laying down and taking it. And that's powerful as hell, obviously, We are still talking about it almost 50 years later. Yeah. That was Caroline Cabati, Executive Director of the Manila Town Heritage Foundation. Check back next week for part two of my chat with Caroline. That drops next Tuesday. Special thanks on this episode to sound designer Kayla Anchel. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fifth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show. And drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, weird, and healthy. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.